We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Welcome to the Budding Heads Podcast from Rams Talk Radio. I'm Steve Ribeiro. A little tired out here. You know, it was a long late last night. We had probably the best game of the season. Hopped on the late game podcast after, but we're back with Budding Heads today. And Johnny, you were there, man. You you saw one of the you saw the third highest scoring football game in the history of the NFL. How was it? It was worth every penny. I <laughs> I can't even describe how amazing that game was. For those that actually attended, you know exactly what I'm talking about. For those that watched the game, you have an idea. <laughs> I definitely have an idea. That was that was a absolutely bananas game. And you know, we we talked in a lot, about a lot of things in the podcast last night, but we're gonna get into some more here. And then later on, there's no game preview this week. It's the bye week finally. So we're gonna look kind of into the offseason and talk about guys that we think may or may not be back next year on the team. But before we get into it, guys, you know, wherever you are, you can get your podcasts. So whatever you're on, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Android, Player FM, Spotify, be sure to leave us a review if you can. We'll take five stars from anywhere we can get it. If you're enjoying the show, uh, whatever you're listening to on, please give us some feedback. And, you know, obviously if you know any Rams fans that don't listen to the show, feel free to recommend us. And don't forget, we're on iebeatradio.com airing our show Wednesdays, Saturdays, and Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific time. And don't forget, guys, to check out our other show. If you didn't listen to the post-game reaction podcast last night up for Ramstock Radio, give it a lot of listen. We had me, Derek, Norm, uh, Justin from Rampage Radio, and Johnny made a quick cameo on there too. And, of course, Rampage Radio and Ramstock Radio, those are all coming out of the week. Okay, so we got to talk about this game here, man. It was an absolutely wild game. But before we do, Johnny... I know people who, if you've listened to every episode of the show, I think you know what we need to start with, and that is we definitely owe Josh Reynolds an apology for kind of how much we've dragged him through the mud all season long. You know, this this guy, we 
he dropped a 50-yard pass from a punter. Or not dropped, he just didn't make a good enough planet. And we, we hammered it home on him. Later on, he gets pegged in the face by Jared Goff and causes an interception. But you know what, man? He never gave up. And this week, I know he's had multiple touchdown games, but this was probably you know the best all-around football game I've seen him play. Six receptions for 80 yards and a touchdown. Uh, he made a huge game-saving you know tip away from a on a bad throw by Jared Goff near the end of the game. Uh, I believe it was Orlando Skandrick had a pick in his hand, and Josh Reynolds just had the wherewithal to kind of tap that ball out of there, and that ultimately saved the drive and kept the Rams going. But, man, I'm sorry, Josh Reynolds and Johnny. I think you need to say the same to my man here, our man now. You know, I kind of I kind of hesitate to do so, but not Ooh. for the reason you're thinking. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> before, before you uh... – you kind of guessed there. Um, there is a reason. So this is actually vaguely familiar last uh, – well, was it last year? Might have been two seasons ago. I don't recall. But we made a similar apology to another wide receiver. Do you recall who it was? No. I, um, no, I don't. We actually apologized to Brian Quick. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was that one or two games where he looked like he was going to live up to his potential, and then he just kind of faded into the darkness, and we never saw him again. So I'm kind of hesitant to do that with Josh Reynolds. I don't want to jinx it, but I'm going to do it anyway. M- my bad. <laughs> Look, all right. I don't want to turn this into a Brian Quick podcast like by any means but we took brian quick with the 33rd overall pick which is basically a late first rounder it's the first pick of the second round we took him over some very good wide receivers uh alshon jeffrey was still there uh you know and it's not like alshon jeffrey wasn't a guy who was in conversation with that pick quick was kind of a reach whereas jeffrey was a proven sec wide receiver who had a prolific college career you know we just went ahead and took brian quick over him but you know that years into quick's career he showed flashes occasionally and um with josh reynolds you know he was a fourth round pick in his second season he's our fourth string receiver we weren't drafting him to do what brian quick was being drafted to do so i mean different strokes but i definitely understand the sentiment and you know i don't think josh reynolds will be brian quick per se but I, I like what we saw, but it, let, let's kind of get into some of the nitty-gritty of this game, and we kind of went over a lot of immediate game reaction, but I mean, uh, you know, off the cuff, Johnny, you know, you, you only chimed in to talk about your experience actually at the game, but was was there anything that's, you know, you need to get off your chest here about this performance? Uh, just the fact that there is a lot of stats in this game, and it's very easy to get lost in. One of the things that was very clear to me was that this final score doesn't really tell the whole story. There was quite a few things that caught my eye, particularly defensively. You'll you'll look at the the stats and you know you'll see a terrible defensive performance, but really that wasn't completely true. Uh, actually. There was a lot of things that didn't go the defense's way because I think um, towards the end, you know, this is where it was starting to to um, begin to tire. You know, they, they scored 21 points in the fourth quarter. And part of the reason being is because one of the things that I noticed was offensively, you had, you had the, the Rams scoring – super quickly you know this is a team that that can score easily and it didn't help that there were times where that the defense scored itself so all in all i have to say i i'm actually really proud of this defense no i i totally agree and that was one of the things i wanted to talk about because a lot of people have been you know talking about how like there's been backlash for people celebrating this game because of how it was just such an offensive shootout and there was no defense played. There was definitely defense played. The Rams had five turnovers in this game. The Chiefs forced two. 
Uh, there was three total defensive touchdowns, and you know, just you look at the punting stats if you want to pull something out of the box. Here, okay, Johnny Hecker punted four times. He's only had more than four punts in a game this season once, and it was against Green Bay. He's only had four punts in a game this season in one other game. Every other game this year, he's had less than four punts, which means uh, the Chiefs' defense, for all the points they gave up, they, they done a they did a better job of you know kind of taking it to the Rams offensively than a lot of teams have done this year. It's just because both of the because the Chiefs play at such a high pace and just like you know a, a high velocity kind of offense, the Rams had to pump up their pace, which is why we didn't really see Todd Gurley getting a ton of carries. We we saw Jared Goff throw like forty passes, and as a result, you know there was punts in this game. Uh, the Chiefs punter Dustin Colquitt had three punts he has multiple games this year with two punts or less he has four two punt games he had a one game this year we punted once he had a game against Cincinnati where he literally didn't punt so I mean there was defense played in this game there was good defensive performances there was bad defensive performances but you know they Rams don't win this game without the contributions from Aaron Donald and Ebu Cam and even like some of the guys who had more quiet performances like Marcus Peters that now, there was huge plays, and if the Rams don't get these turnovers, the game doesn't play out like this. And ultimately, people were talking about how we would never see a punter this game. There were seven punts. For this game, considering the ridiculous score and the ridiculous offenses here, that's kind of a lot of punts. Yeah, without a doubt. The defense did not get the credit they deserve. And, you know, it was, it's funny because I was, I was speaking to a couple of uh, buddies of mine who were saying, you know, the Rams' defense is is not what it cracks out to be, and that's kind of one of the things that I talked to him about. I was like, you know, this was a completely different game than when they played against the Saints. See, when they played against the Saints, the defense completely shut down, which was not the case here. I mean, I won't say completely. In the Saints game, they they uh, you know tried to turn it around a little too late, unfortunately. But um, in this game against the the Chiefs it there was there was a lot of great defense played but like you said there was a few plays that uh, the defense would like back so um I, I I'm gonna give credit where it's due here defense needs to be celebrated here because you know even though there was some mishaps you got to remember this is quite possibly the best team in the AFC and maybe even one of the top two teams in the NFL, um, if if you're not counting the Saints, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll put them aside for now. Well, either way, uh, top three, top three, but but yeah. So th- this is a team that's going to make an impact offensively, regardless. You know, this this is a very very good team. So for a defense to to you know be flawless against a team like this. It's kind of impossible. They they have way too many weapons for that to happen. Yeah, and you look at the the box score of the the Rams Saints game. There was two total turnovers. This game had seven. There was no sacks in the game. I, I don't have. Uh, you know what? I do have the sack numbers for this game. There was eight total sacks in this game. Five for the Rams, three for the Chiefs. There was only three punts in the entire Saints um, Saints Rams games and. Scoring-wise, it was a lot less. So, I mean, I just think the reason why that we just saw so much scoring was just because of how quickly these possessions were. Now, there was five different scoring plays in, in the second quarter. There was four scoring plays in the third quarter. You know, there was just a lot of possessions. And even with the punts, you know, you'd see we saw back-to-back three and outs in this game, which I don't think anyone thought we'd see at all going in this game. And I think ultimately it was – it was clear. Obviously, it wasn't the best performance you could ask for from the Rams' defense, but considering who they were going up against, it was fine. And they, when they needed to step up and get a turnover, they did. When they needed to get, step up and get a three and out, they did. So I, I'm satisfied with how the defense played. I think really the only like huge negative in this game was Sam Shields, and I mean, he should not be like. You throw Sam Shields on the Tyreek Hill, it's not going to end well. But we ultimately probably don't have another guy to throw on him. But, yeah, I mean, there's there's not a ton 
negative to say about this defensive performance outside of the fact that the Saints scored a lot, or sorry, the Chiefs scored a lot, which they've done in every game this year. And I, I think you could kind of say the same thing from the other side of it if you're looking at it from the Chiefs' perspective. But speaking of negatives, Johnny, I need to get your take on this because you were there, and I think this there was a series late in this game that I think a lot of Rams fans were kind of ripping their hair out on, and that was you know the Rams. Marcus Peters gets a huge interception with a minute twenty eight left in the game. The Chiefs still have three timeouts. The Ram the Rams have the ball. Um at at their own 35 you know they they have a chance kind of to ice the game here and Todd Gurley doesn't touch the ball Jared Goff throws the ball three times I know there was some of them were short screens but one of them goes incomplete so the the Chiefs you know exit the series with a timeout but I mean would would you have liked to see them just run the ball three times here I mean what you think of this play calling when I was there and much like everyone that was there and probably most of everyone that was uh, at home watching the game, yes, I would have loved to seen them, you know, hand the ball off to Gurley. Only to find out later, uh, I, I don't know if you caught this or not, but uh, Sean McVay mentioned that uh, Todd Gurley, you know, had rolled his ankle, um, you know, earlier in the game and they were kind of using him hesitantly and it was obvious uh it even um i don't know if you could really necessarily see it on tv but seeing but seeing Gurley coming off the sidelines i did notice that uh i I did notice that he was kind of hobbling along and you know I, i thought maybe it was just you know kind of you know taking the hits of the game or or you know maybe you know he's just kind of banged up a little bit but it turns out it was a little bit more than that so Sean McVay was a little hesitant to run Gurley. But the thing about that that kind of drives me nuts is, okay, so you don't have Todd Gurley as an option, but you still have a capable Malcolm Brown. So I don't understand why you don't hand the ball off to Malcolm Brown, who you know made a few plays in this game as well. So um, it, it just kind of baffles me a little bit that they didn't want to go with Brown. I don't know if they just weren't confident, uh, you know, using Brown against, you know, a a team that did very well against the run, um, you know, throughout the, uh, the season and throughout the game. So, uh, I, I'm thinking that might be it, but it's still a little confusing considering that you're trying to win the ball game, you know, with, with, you know, less than two minutes on the clock. He, this is something that needs to happen. Yeah, Malcolm Brown, he's averaging five yards a carry on the season. So, I mean, I mean, I I agree with you on actually on the Todd Gurley thing. And um, there was a play that I it kind of caught me caught my eye during the game where he's running out of bounds and he kind of he his ankle turns weird or it it just, it just felt weird watching the play. I think Cam DeSilva posted on Twitter if you guys want to uh, look for that play, but. You're right. After that, it kind of seemed like he was kind of mixed out of the game plan. And I think that was a partly because of the injury and partly because of just the flow of this game. You know, this is a passing game. You're playing the Chiefs. You want to play quick, quick, quick plays. But in this particular series, I think even if Gurley was out there, I, I think the play calling is actually similar because, I, you know, I went on a rant a couple of weeks ago when we lost to the Saints about – the the fake field goal and how you know, I know Sean McVay doesn't like to uh, coach coach conservatively and uh, you know it was it's just you don't take points off the board about that like that but I've learned to realize that you know if if Jeff Fisher's a conservative football coach you know, Sean McVay is basically like Bernie Sanders and the the he just it it is he. It, what I'm trying to say here is basically like, and I'm obviously not making this political. That was just a joke, but Sean McVay, it is who he is to just not play conservatively like ever, and I think we just have to live and die by that. And I think a situation like this, it didn't play out as much as we'd hope, 
you know, if Goff hits one of those passes, maybe it, maybe it does. Maybe that that's the icing on the cake, and we don't have to deal with the anxiety of that final drive. But this this is just kind of who he is. This is the coach that he is. It, it's a good thing in the fact that if we're up twenty eight to three in a Super Bowl, we're not going to just punt seven times in a row and lose the game. But on the flip side, we're going to see things like this and things like the the fake field goal in the Saints game, where you know it's probably not the right move, but this is who he is as a coach and you know what i'm happy to have him i I made i disagreed with the series i would have just kind of ran the ball even if you throw it once i think you mix a run or two in there and but it's just it's just who sean mcbay is man and i think the positives with him as a coach and his coaching style strongly outweigh the negatives but the slight slight negatives are there and in a situation like this you kind of see them come out all right uh Johnny, you you didn't get to give out a game ball last night. No, me me Norm, Derek, and Justin we gave it a couple guys. I mentioned were uh, Johnny Hacker, Aaron Donald, obviously Samson Ibukam. I think Josh Reynolds got one. You know, is there, is there anyone that stood out to you in this game? Uh, maybe that we haven't talked about a lot. Uh, pretty much, you covered everyone. Uh, if you wanted to throw in an honorable mention, you could say uh, Gerald Everett. Um, but I would say. My game ball would probably go to Ibukam just because he I, – I don't think he had a better performance in his career. You know, that was an amazing performance. And, you know, if you if I, if I had to throw a second game ball out there, it would probably Aaron Donald because he he, he knows, like, the force that the, that the Rams needed. So um, – Either one of those guys can get the game ball, but I'll, I'll give it to Ibukam just because this was definitely the performance of his career. Yeah, Ibukam, you know, he's – I don't think he's a guy we've really ragged on, but we've we, he's a guy we've talked about who's just like, you know, overall not been super impressive this year. He's been out there. He's been fine. But this game was awesome from him. And to see him and like guys like Josh Reynolds, Tyler Higby, Gerald Everett, are kind of the the guy less talked about guys in the team that you know have been out there and producing. Uh, obviously, Reynolds is a bit of a different situation than the other guys, but it was just great to see you know both the stars and kind of the unsuck heroes on the team show out in a game like this. But anyways, I I think you know we could kind of wrap up this Chiefs game here. It, there's so much to break down. I think we broke down a lot of it, and I mean, uh, if you want to keep the conversation going with us on Twitter, feel free. Uh, at C. Rivera, at Johnny Five Six, but Johnny, I do want to ask for one final parting thought here. You know, you were at this game, obviously. What do you remember as kind of like being the best moment of this game, being in the stands live? You know, to be honest with you, I couldn't pick out a single moment just because, um, right from you know waiting in the seats to uh, the very final moments in the stadium, it was just so exciting and electric. It it uh, truly felt like a playoff game. This was, this was definitely intense. Um, there was constant, like honestly, it, it was almost like uh, you know, pointless sitting down because everyone was just standing up for most of the game. You know, we wanted to see and you know see every spectacular play happen. And I don't know if there has ever been a tense game that I've personally ever been to. Uh, so I, I couldn't necessarily pick a, a moment, but, um, like I said, you know, even down to tailgating, cause I, I went and tailgated also, um, it was a little bit different because, uh, for those of you who've never been to a, a Ram game in Los Angeles, it's a little bit different because there is literally like a melting pot of different fans, and in lost in the Los Angeles area, so whenever any team comes to town, more than likely you'll see a lot more fans than at like a you know uh, traditional football town like say uh, Green Bay. You know you won't see like uh, a sea of uh, you know different colors other than green because that's all that you know that's around there. In Los Angeles, a little bit different. You'll see a lot of different colors in the stands other than, you know, the blue or the white uh, that the Rams are donning. So 
when it came down to the Chiefs, this is a very well-known traveling football team uh, in terms of the fans. You know, you they're represented in a lot of different uh, games. So that was kind of the other thing that caught my eye. There wasn't many representations there. And the reason being is because, well, it was kind of short notice. You know, this was this was a game that was supposed to be in Mexico. And I can't say for certain, but I imagine there was probably a lot more expected to be in the Mexico game. So in Los Angeles, it was it was kind of nice. It was kind of like a nice little paradise for the Ramley. Like, I mean, there was not many chief tailgaters at all. I mean, they were there. Don't get me wrong, but there weren't that many as opposed to previous games. So I I don't know if you if you've seen the the fans in the stands, you might have noticed the Chiefs fans just because those bright red jerseys stick out like a sore thumb. But there was mostly blue jerseys, um, blue white jerseys, blue yellow jerseys in the stands. Um, I, I would say like a, a good seventy thirty. You almost forget what a real home field advantage feels like, you know. And like you know, we've kind of talked about it. It's it's understandable why we don't get full home field advantage in some games. Like a lot of people in LA that have been waiting for football to come back, and you know, I'm with this game in particular. You probably really only got people that are very close to the Los Angeles area coming in as Chiefs fans. You're probably not planning a trip out from Kansas City on that short notice or something like that, but. It, it it felt really good to hear that you know roaring crowd cheering for the Rams, and I'm sure it was awesome, you know, being there for that. And you know, shout out to all the Rams fans that went to this game, man. It, it was something we needed, and it was awesome to see it. And I'm sorry to anyone that was planning on going to the game in Mexico City, but I'm glad Los Angeles got this game because it's going to be it's great for the fan base in LA, and just you know, great for bringing in new fans in the city with just and such an exciting game. One thing I want to point out before we wrap this up is I'm sure some people are going to be out there clowning Sammy Watkins on Twitter uh, for you know one catch in this game. He played five snaps, guys. He was clearly not healthy. And he missed last week's game. You know he's been banged up. Leave the guy alone. All right. What do you what do you want from him? He he if he could have played this whole game, I'm sure he would have. I don't think he got benched for playing poorly because he was only out there for five snaps. All right, we're going to talk a little bit of early, maybe a little too early offseason stuff here. But before we do, guys, most of us are practically addicted to anything Los Angeles Rams. Well, if you want to learn a bit more about the team's history with a bit of a personal touch, check out Jim Hawk's book, Hollywood Team, Grit, Glamour, and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. This book tells the stories of the 1950s Rams through the lens of Jim's dad, John, who was an offensive lineman with the team from 1953 to 1957. Check out a son's story of his father and the team he played for in an era of glitz, glamour, and future Hall of Famers. Read about players like Norm Van Brocklin, Crazy Legs Hirsch, Tom Fears, and Les Richter in this story that spans the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. If you want to check out this book, you can find it online at hollywoodsteam.com. You can follow it on Twitter, at hollywoodsteam. It's also available in both hardback and electronic form at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. You can also find Hollywood Steam through various booksellers on the internet. Guys, this book is worth a read for any Rams fan out there, but it's also just a great story about a person's father and the legacy he left behind. Of course, Jim is a very insightful Rams fan and just a fantastic author. Guys, again, check it out. Hollywood's team, Grit, Glamour, and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams by Jim Hawk. It's worth your time. Okay, so what we're going to kind of do here is we're going to give you guys the most of the Rams' upcoming free agents here. Uh, there's a decent amount of guys, a lot of rotational players that are important to the team and we're gonna just johnny i'm gonna give you a player and you're gonna tell me if you you think they will be on this team or not next year and then maybe a little bit as to why sound good sounds good let's fire it up all right we're gonna we're gonna mix and match with newer rams and long tenure rams and we're gonna start with safety lamarcus joiner uh he was franchise tagged this offseason at 11 million dollars i believe if he gets tagged again, the price will go up to about $14 million. I think that's unlikely. The only way he would be here really is if we sign him to a longer-term deal. Do you think Jordan is here next year? Personally, no. I, I don't see the point in bringing him back for a super max contract 
which he's probably going to demand. And to be honest, you know, not that he hasn't had a good year. I mean, especially in this past game, you know, he had a key interception there. Uh, but I, I just don't see his worth being, you know, over, you know, that $11 million per year, especially because safety has been an area of success that uh, Les Snead's been able to draft in as well as, uh, you know, bring in some, some uh, key guys. So while I do like LaMarcus Joyner, I don't know if I like him enough to bring him back for, you know, a lengthy, you know, potentially too much money contract. Uh, I just think in the end he's just going to be too expensive and see him like the other safeties that the Rams have let go over the years. There's actually quite a big list if you really get down to it. So, uh, no, I, I, I don't think LaMarcus Joyner is going to be back next year. No, I agree. I, I would honestly be stunned if Joyner was on the team next year. Not not that, he, like I said, he's he's been great for the Rams. He's played a lot of different positions. But this season, he, he's he been good, I guess, but he's you know, like unremarkable. Um, and nothing really stands out about his performance this year. I think last year he was a little bit better. And somebody's going to pay him a good amount of money. You know, I think he was better for us than Rodney McLeod was, and McLeod got five years, $35 million from the Eagles. You know, the Rams, when it comes to giving out long-term deals, they got to get a little creative and know or just know that the guy is going to be here for the long haul. And ultimately, I, I think Les Need has done a good job finding safeties through the draft. That's probably the, the most success he's had with any position because you know that's been kind of a rotating door since he's gotten here and every year it feels like we have good safety so no i i think joiner i've loved everything he's brought to this team but i think this is it next guy nadamakin sue who signed a one-year 14 million dollar contract this season first year with the rams you think he's back next year uh i would like to say yes and no at the same time just because i I do think Sue is very valuable in certain situations, but I don't think he's as valuable as, well, the league thinks he is and what he thinks he is. So while I wouldn't mind bringing him back personally, I just don't think we should bring him back at the contract he'll want. And, you know, not to say he doesn't deserve it, but... I just think in the grand scheme of things, there's just not enough money to give this guy, especially long term. So in the end, I, I don't think he's coming back. Uh, I didn't think so at the start of the season. And to be honest, I, I would be very doubtful that they'll bring him back uh, at the end of the season. I'm about right now, I'd say my confidence in being back here is like, 70% yes, 30% no, and and I'll let you know why. And by the way, guys, I have an article up on Ramstalk today. You can check it out, ramstalk.net, um, you know, kind of detailing my picks for all of these guys in a little bit more in-depth detail about contracts and everything. But we cannot afford to pay Sue long-term. There's no question. But he gave up, you know, long-term money from the Jets last offseason, and I think some other teams were offering longer-term contracts. To, to take a deal with the Rams on a one-year deal. Now, I think because of who's up this offseason, and I don't think anyone who we can't bring back um, on an opt-out contract is is going to be locked into big-time long-term money, I think we can afford safely to pay Sue around what he's making this year. We might give him a little less, but ultimately I think he's he's just – frightening on that defensive line he's a guy defensive has have to respect and if we could run it back with him and brockers and donald on that defensive line it's something i'd like to have us do and if we can get him on another one-year deal even if it's eight figures as long as it's not more money than it is now i don't think it'll hurt the team that much next guy johnny roger saffold the longest tenured ram been here since 2011 but end of his contract i believe he's 30 as his an injury history he might want to pay day what do you think 
if he wants a payday, I say no. Just because, don't get me wrong, I think Saffold is a very solid offensive lineman. I don't know if I'd put him up as like one of the best guards in the league, but I would certainly say that he, he's, a, he's a reliable guard to have and someone that I wouldn't mind keeping. But to give him like a huge contract entering his, you know, entering uh, his 30 years of age, I don't know. Like, I, I think you're getting into risky territory because, as you mentioned, he does have an injury history, albeit not as extensive recently. But um, in the end, I personally would say yes to bring him back if the price is right. If he wants too much, I say find somebody else, uh, be it free agency or through the draft. And we, we got guys that might be you know kind of been waiting with, like, say, Joseph Noteboom. But with Saffold, I'm really, like, 50-50 on Saffold. I think... I could see him going out there, playing the open market a little bit, but ultimately, he's a guy that's had a lot of injury history, but at the same time, he's in a career year right now. These last years next to Whitworth have been the best of his career, and there is a chance that somebody comes out and makes him a big offer that he can't say no to, but if the money's not there that much, and if the Rams can kind of get him in the six to $8 million annual range, I think they lock it up, and I think with Saffold... He might want to end his career as a Ram. You know, he was here through, he, like I said, he's the longest tenured Ram. He's been through a lot of shitty years with his football team. He might just not want to get out of here when the going's good. And if that's the case, I think the team would love to have him back. He'd love to be back. And if they could, if they could make the money work, I think he will be back. But I'm not fully confident that they can. And right now I'm leaning slightly towards no, but it's like, 50-50 for me right now. Next guy, Dante Fowler. The Rams' big trade deadline acquisition. Uh, unrestricted free agent this year. What do you think? Whew, this one's a tough one. Personally, I, I, I'm I a Fowler guy. Uh, I think I told you uh, even before the trade deadline, I hope that the Rams get him. I think that we haven't seen what Fowler is capable of just yet. And it's kind of to be expected. I know... Many people were expecting this guy to perform right away, uh, but that's a lot to ask of a guy that's transitioning to a different team right away. That's just, you know, it's not an easy thing to do. And we have seen moments where, where Fowler looks like he could be a stud, but we've also seen where he's been kind of absent in this past game being one of them. So for me, it's kind of early to tell, but... If I had to give you an answer right now, I would say I'd be willing to sign him to a one-year deal, uh, being if he wants to do a one-year deal. I know he's still kind of a young guy, so he might be you know, seeking at least a three-year. Um, so I doubt that he'll, be, that he'll want to sign for a one-year deal. But if he wants to prove his worth, um, and maybe he does you know, the following year, I don't see why, what's the harm in signing him to a one-year deal. Again, don't chase after him, though. If he if he gets a big-time contract or even a semi-big contract, I would say no. Well, yeah, the interesting thing about Fowler really is if he shows out, he might get a big contract. If he doesn't show out for the rest of the year, it's kind of like, do, do you want to give him a big contract? You know what I mean? Do you, do you want to bring him back? But here's the thing about Fowler. If he's back here next year, I think it's at the tr- the franchise tag. And I'm not confident giving him... The franchise tag will be, for his position, outside linebacker, it's hefty. It'll probably be in the $13, $14 million range. Now, granted, if he, he has a huge game, or you know a huge stretch here down at the end of the season, yeah, maybe you give it to him, but... It's tough because if he plays really well, he's going to get big money from somewhere else and maybe we just lock him up on that franchise tag. If he doesn't play well, you know, maybe he does take a one-year deal. That would be ideal, but ultimately, I think somebody pays him and I think the reason the Rams were fine giving up a third-round pick for him is because they can easily get a compensatory pick back for him if a team throws big money at him. 
That's how those picks work. But keep an eye on him in terms of getting a franchise tag because he's really the only candidate right now that could get the franchise tag unless they want to throw it at Joyner again, which I, I can't really imagine happening. All right, next guy, Johnny. I'm going to let you just take this. Sean Mannion, our backup quarterback. <laughs> you know, I was waiting for this one to come up because I already I already know that there's going to be – oh, man, I, there's so many words that come to mind. But let's just say uh, that Steve won't have so many nice words to say here. Um, but Sean Mannion, him being a free agent – yeah, I. If we want to keep three quarterbacks on the roster, I'm okay with him coming back as a third stringer. But we need we need to have a new main backup because, as Steve has mentioned very clearly in previous podcasts, if if you know, knock on wood, <laughs> something were to happen to Jared Goff. Are we confident that Sean Mannion could lead this team? Even myself, who is somewhat of a Mannion supporter, not really so much anymore. I, I'm not all that confident, to be honest. So I'd be okay with letting him go and possibly looking to the draft to replace him or maybe finding a, a veteran you know, for the vet minimum. There, there's tons of them out there. Uh, I... I just think there are better options than Mannion at this point. Right. There's better plays you get a minimum deal, and there's no, absolutely no reason to pay him anything more than a minimum deal. And, I, you know, I'm going to give Mannion a break. I'm just going to say no. I don't think he'll be back. I really hope he's not back. I'd rather spend like a fifth-round pick on a backup quarterback. Just, just let Sean McVay take a guy that he likes and kind of develop him behind Goff and see what happens. You know, maybe he'll be the new Bill Belichick, just sending out backup quarterbacks everywhere. But Mannion's not his guy. Uh, he was here before him, and clearly this this was not a great pick. A third-round pick, Les Snead has wasted. A, for all the third-round picks that Les Snead has hit on since he's been here, he's wasted quite a few as well, and this was one of them. Next player here, your boy, Johnny Troy Hill, what do you think? Oh, man. Okay. Um, bias aside, one thing I will say is Troy Hill, when he has a good game, he is one that you're relieved to have on the team. But when he has his terrible games, he's one that you want kicked off the team immediately. And... Me, personally, I think he's good to have as a backup. He is a good backup corner. And in, in this case, you know, since Tlaib went out, it was kind of nice to have Hill on the on the roster. But am I going to pay him big-time money? No. I would much rather save that on somebody else and look towards the draft or – maybe even look at a veteran to, to fill in that spot because I, I don't think Troy Hill is really worth, you know, give, giving a big-time contract. That's just me. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's just me being disappointed so many times, but I, I, I'm kind of over having Troy Hill, and paying him a lot of money would just be, mm, yeah, I, I don't think that'd be a good idea. Well, I mean, even for him, like, Four to five million would probably be a lot of money for him, and it's not worth it. If you can't get him back on like a minimum deal or a near minimum, it's it's not worth it simply because of you know some of the other guys you're going to have in here, and you're not going to plan on him being your starter. And he might, you know, he might think he's a starter, and some other teams might, and maybe they'll give him a chance. But you know, maybe maybe he'll go get that Cody Sensiball money. You know what I'm saying? But it should not oh, be from us. <laughs> um, you know, if they were to bring back a corner on a minimum deal. I feel like Sam Shields is more likely, um, but and I wouldn't be shocked if neither of those guys are back. Malcolm Brown, Johnny, I think we can both agree he's probably not back. Given that, you know he's he's played well, uh, I think somebody will give him more money than we can afford to, and we like John Kelly, so I I think he kind of takes over the role next year. Any any disagreement there? No, I mean it, it will be kind of disappointing to see a, another decent backup you know, going, 
But at the same time, like you said, John Kelly is is the guy that I think going forward is going to be the the prominent backup. Although there is something to say about not really seeing too much of him this season, but that could be just to you know groom him for the following season. So uh, as much as I don't want to see it happen, I I think Malcolm Brown is gone next season. Yeah, I just think Brown is good, and I think he's kind of. I think we kind of all owed him an apology for how we were saying John Kelly should be the backup running back, and that's not even a slight against John Kelly. Malcolm Brown is just like. When you have a three-down back, he's clearly just a great backup. You don't need the backup to be a change-of-pace guy. You just need him to do what Todd Gurley does, but worse. And Brown has proven that he can do that, and he's he's been pretty well. And, you know, I think somebody's going to give him a shot to be probably not a starter, but kind of compete for a starting job or be kind of in, like, an Eagle-style committee. So I, I don't think he's going to be here. I think he'll get a little more money elsewhere. Last two guys here. Two outside linebackers, Matt Longacre and the forgotten and perennially injured Dominic Easley. You think either of them are back? Longacre, I could see coming back as as a backup uh, if if he's if somebody's willing to give him a starting role or at least an increase in pay. Uh, then then yeah, he's gone. But um, I, I would not want to keep Longacre as a starter. Uh, I, I do think he is 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 a good guy to have as a backup, but just a backup. And in terms of Dominic Easley, I really like Dominic Easley. I think that he has all the potential in the world. He just can't stay healthy, man. It's it it sucks because this is a guy that I think could have made a big difference had he stayed healthy. But once again, he he has sustained like a season ending injury and now you'd have to think to yourself is it really worth paying this guy knowing that he could be out for the season for another year i i just think at this point the easily experiment is is done with it with easily you know to be honest i kind of just thought the same thing but the more i thought about it there's going to be no market for Dominic Easley. Like, there's absolutely no way. You know, there's a chance he's not even in the league next year. But if the Rams could bring him back, you know, they clearly like him. If they could just get him on a minimum, completely non-guaranteed deal, you know, why not bring him back as a backup? You know, I given that we need to find a new starter for Longacre, and I, I don't think Longacre's back, I, if, I'd rather have Easley for nothing than Longacre for, like, maybe three or four million you know it if we can get longer at his current salary is 1.7 million if we could somehow keep him around that absolutely bring the guy back but i think somebody will give him a little more money than that and easily you know i don't know i think he could just get another like camp deal and if he's healthy it's low risk for them uh he's not going to get real money from anywhere else nobody's going to give that man guaranteed money after two straight seasons out with injury so I just say never say never on him. All right. We're going to hit these opt-out candidates quickly. But before we do that, let's give a shout-out to our sponsor at the Golden Ram Barbershop. Guys, if you're looking to support one of your own in the Orange County area and like that old-school classic barbershop experience, you've got to check out the Golden Ram Barbershop at 13755 Golden West Street in Westminster, California. Zip code is 92683. Guys, Sal Martinez opened up his shop as a shrine to the Rams on the day they left for St. Louis, and he's kept the lights on ever since. He's by appointment only, so give him a call at 714-894-RAMS. Again, that's 714-894-RAMS. Use the promo code RAMSTALK so he knows who sent you. You'll get a discount and an already affordable haircut. The Golden Ram Barbershop is open Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. and on Saturdays from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. Closed on Sundays. Once again, guys, you can give Sal a call at 714-894-7267. A visit to Sal's shop is worth it, not only just to enjoy all that great Rams memorabilia. I mean, it's basically like walking into a museum. But Sal provides you with that classic, old-school barbershop experience. He's going to talk whatever you want with you, but mostly probably about the Rams. Trust me, guys, you won't regret checking out Sal at the Golden Ram. All right, we have five notable candidates here that the Rams have a chance to opt out of their contracts on. One of them, you know, Johnny, I think we save Aqib Talib for another day. Uh, his $8 million is fully non-guaranteed. They could quit it at the drop of a hat. But 
What do you think? Should we just revisit that after we actually see him play? Because a lot of people saw him as a rental, but personally, I think if he plays well, I, I think he's back next year. I think you need that veteran presence and his skills clearly, given how everything is gone. Well, uh, as far as uh, Talib is concerned, judging by the limited action that we actually did see of Talib, he was a lockdown corner. He was a guy that, even though he does kind of have that older presence on him, he still looked like he, he can go out there and compete. And I think he completed the overall secondary. So that's the kind of thing you really can't put a price on because it's hard to find and, and hard to keep, really. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree that it would be better to kind of evaluate uh, when he comes back, hopefully – uh, for the Lions game, he is uh, able to come back on the Lions game, right? He's on, he's on track, uh, according to him and the team right now. I hope so, man, because and not that it's terribly necessary against the Lions, uh, but it'd be nice to see him back out there. But uh, to answer the question, though, uh, if I absolutely had to make a decision right here and now, I would say bring him back, you know, uh, if, if at all possible. He doesn't opt out, you know that'd be great. But um, you know, if we if if we had to make a decision right now, I'd say bring the guy back because I think he's far too talented to let walk, walk away. Yeah, these are all team opt outs. So if the Rams have the option to terminate any of these contracts, and I'll, I'll talk about the dead money too. But uh, Talib has no dead money. It's it's fully non guaranteed. If uh, it's up to the Rams, and I'm with you. I think. I, I gotta check. I gotta see him a couple games down the stretch. Now he's old, given his position. He had a. It's not a super easy injury to recover from, but you know, as long as he's back out there and looks even like ninety percent of what he did at the beginning of the season, no brainer to bring him back, in my opinion. And I, given the window that this team has right now, you're not really going to be able to get a better cornerback like that at that price range without giving up more assets. Next guy, Andrew Whitworth. He's oh he's going to be the second highest paid player on the team next year at $15.9 million. The Rams can opt out of this contract, but they would lose $5.1 million in dead cap. So to me, it doesn't make any sense financially, and it doesn't make any sense in terms of the actual play on the field. Since Whitworth came into this team, the line the change in the line has been night and day. He, he's been an absolute monster. He's been a leader on and off the field. Um, and given the fact that even though he's getting paid a lot of money, a lot of money, you'd still lose five point one million in cap. I'd rather just keep him around and keep him on the line for another year. And yeah, I mean, what more needs to be said, man? The guy, the guy is a stud. He's he's a true professional, and he's a, he's a guy we want if we're trying to make a run deep into the playoffs. Yeah, it's absolute no brainer. Uh, if you don't bring back Whitworth, I. I start to question Les Sneed's, uh, you know, uh, job is is a lot in question at that point. Whitworth is the heart and soul of the offensive line. And, and some may even argue that the entire offense, uh, just because he's kind of an unsung hero with all, you know, the talent there. Yeah, he's, he's getting a little older. He's made more mistakes in the past couple games than I feel like all last season. But you know what? It's not much. And no, I'm still very happy with this play. Next guy, Johnny, Marcus Peters. The Rams can opt out of his contract. It's $9 million right now, but same as Tlaib. They opt out, no harm, no foul. They get all that money back. Do um, you, you think there's any chance they do? No, I, not really, just because we may bash on Peters a lot. Um, in fact, uh, most people do. But I think, uh, I think especially if, if the Rams decide to bring back Tlaib, Peters is as good a, in a Ram uniform as he is this year as he will be next year. Uh, and to be honest with you, I would be okay with it just because consider that if the Rams do actually um, cut Marcus Peters in this case, then in the end you have another huge glaring hole that needs to be fulfilled, and then you're kind of backtracking from you know what what's supposed to be a really well to put together team. 
And then basically everything you did in the past offseason is going to be undone. So for me personally, I would say keep him. Yeah, I I think I would be shocked if he's not on the team next year. $9 million for a young cornerback who's made two all-pro teams is not that much. But I do think Snead will have his eye on Peters as much as he will on Tlaib. Peters has looked better um, since the Michael Thomas game. It seems like he's bounced back a little bit. I think he had a really nice game against the Chiefs this week, all things considered. you know, uh, He only gave up three receptions in that game for 24 yards. He made some plays against Kelsey. Uh, he obviously had a big interception near the end of the game. You're just you're not gonna find a a reasonable replacement like for him unless you use a, your first round pick on him, and I think next year they're not gonna want it. And I think ultimately long term, Peters is a guy that I think they're gonna be eyeing for, you know, getting one of the the a contract big contract extensions that they're not gonna have that many available left. And I think Peters is probably the most likely candidate left on the roster to kind of get one in the next year or two. And I think they still want to give him that money if he if he comes back to form and bounces back down the stretch here. And we'll, he's a guy I'm going to keep my eye on. Next guy, Johnny Michael Brockers, ten point seven five million owed next year. Uh, they could cut him and lose less than a million in dead cap. Team captain for the first time in his career. What do you think? Oh, that would be absolutely stupid if you cut this guy, Michael Brockers. Much like Whitworth on the offensive line. Uh, Michael Brockers is the unsung hero on the defensive line just because you got two notable names in Aaron Donald and McDonald and Sue uh, on the other end. So, you know, Brockers, you got to keep the guy. He he really is a a big impact that doesn't get the praise he deserves. Uh, Me personally, I, I would go as far as to say that He's probably one that you have to keep uh, out of this list other than maybe Whitworth. Yeah, I, I think Brock is he's as maybe the most no-brainer guy on this list. And I think if it comes down to a decision between him and Sue, they, they go with Brockers. Even, even though I think Sue might be a little better, um, he's older and he means less to the locker room and to the team than Brock does. Although, and I put this in my article, unfortunately I think it's going to be his last year with the Rams because he's going to get paid a lot of money on the market. And I, I don't know if the Rams are going to be able to be the ones that can pay him, but he'll be back next year. We actually forgot to mention Corey Littleton in the unrestricted free agents, Johnny. And the reason I bring that up is because the last guy here is Mark Barron, who seems like he has a reasonable opt out every year, but this year he's due, um, let me let me double check that actually he's basically he's if they cut him they lose 3.3 million in dead cap but his overall what he's owed next season is i believe around 9 million and i'll double check that and if i'm wrong i'll cut you off but i you think baron's here next year as far as mark baron is concerned i you know this season is kind of hard to to really judge how he performed just because he never really came back a hundred percent. You know, even this season or even when he, when he came back, you know, I, I question whether or not he's, you know, fully healed because there are a couple things that I've noticed about him that isn't quite the same. Uh, I, I just think he needs to fully heal and come back, you know, full strength. Even, um, you know, get back to the player he was because there are, you know, he's not as quick as he used to be, I've noticed. And I think part of it is just being having that sluggish start. So um, I do see him improving a little bit. Um, Like, I think he improved a little bit this past game, although he had a couple hiccups there. But um, I I think Mark Barron is someone that I would like to keep. Uh, bearing in mind that, you know, the money is right. Uh, and, you know, as far as I'm concerned, we don't have a whole lot of linebacker depth. So unless there is someone else that the Rams could fill his spot, I, I would stick with Mark Barron. 
Yeah, you know, maybe if Micah Kaiser shows up at some point in the season, maybe you you cut Baron loose. But ultimately, I think I think he's either just going to be here on his contract or he's going to be restructured just because of the weird financials of it. The fact that you actually lose a, a decent amount of cap and it, like you said, it's a position without any depth. And the guy next to him, Corey Littleton, uh, who we forgot to mention, is an unrestricted free agent. He's it. We'll see what the market is for Littleton. You know, if we could get him back in a six six million dollar annually range, maybe seven million, be fantastic. But you know, the guy's second in the league in tackles right now. He's been a terror against other teams on special teams. He's he might be a hot commodity on the open market, and ultimately, if the Rams lose Littleton, they have to keep Mark Barron because they're not going to get two replacements for him in the same offseason. I, I honestly, I can't really imagine. I don't think the linebackers are just out there like that. And you know, it, it's weird because Barron has kind of been on the chopping block every season since he signed this extension. But somehow, some way, I think he's going to sneak through here again one last time. And it's continue to be on the team next year, and hopefully Littleton's there with him. But that'll be a kind of a wrench in the contract situation. And if there's a lot of money out there for Littleton, unfortunately, I don't think he'll be back. But I think the Rams will prioritize bringing him back. All right, Johnny. Before we wrap up here, we got to touch on this. Just a bit of news here. Uh, Tory Hall and Isaac Bruce are Hall of Fame semifinalists. Uh, I believe they've been semifinalists just about every year they've been on the ballot, but um, actually, I yeah, will double-check that, but do you think either of these guys have a chance to get into the Hall of Fame this year? I would like to say yes, but it, it's it's extremely tough uh, for, for these guys. I, unless you are a surefire Hall of Famer as a receiver, if you don't get it, if you don't get in like the first year or two, it's it's become it becomes really hard for a receiver to make it to the Hall of Fame, and I hope that that I'm wrong here, but I, I think it'll probably be another couple of years before uh, either one of these guys will make the Hall of Fame. Yeah, uh, this is Tory Holt's fifth time as a semifinalist. He's been a finalist every year, or semifinalist every year, I believe. Same with Isaac Bruce, although I believe Isaac Bruce has been a finalist um, more than once, and. Holt never has but luckily for them in terms of receivers not in yet I think they are next in line the only other receiver that was a semifinalist was Heinz Ward who you know I know he has a Super Bowl MVP but just in terms of individual accolades he's not even close to them but you look at the guys that are up on this ballot this year Champ Bailey's first timer um, Ed Reed is the first timer um, I saw Clay Matthews on this list. And I got confused, but a different Clay Matthews, and you know, guys like Kevin, Ken Kevin is on there. Um, you know, John Lynch, who's been on the ballot for a long time, I feel like might sneak in over Bruce or Halt. But I really think they are deserving candidates. But it's just a it's a tough Hall of Fame to get into, and especially for the receivers. You know, it took three to three years to get into the Hall of Fame, which is just complete and utter bullshit i'll be honest i know a lot of people don't like him it is insane that it took that man three years to get into the hall of fame but he kind of set a precedent and isaac bruce he's a guy who had the longevity a very long career of just consistent success tory halt's a guy who had a very very good six-year run but he kind of fizzled out quickly and you know it's just kind of that run is he was as good as anybody in that run but it was short um so yeah it's I'd be shocked if they got in this year, but down the line, I do think at least Bruce will get in eventually. I think they both should. Honestly, I think Holt should get in over Bruce, but it's going to be an uphill battle for both of them, but I, I, I do think Bruce gets in there eventually, but it, I don't think it's going to be this year. All right, and with that, nice little hour-long podcast here. I hope you guys all enjoyed this on your you know, rides home to your family for Thanksgiving or on the way to work or whatever you guys are doing. But again, don't forget to follow Rams Talk at Talk Rams on Twitter. You can follow me at Steve Ribeiro. You can follow Johnny, who's back at Johnny Five Not Six. You can follow Rams Talk on Facebook at Facebook.com/slash Talk Rams. Or sorry, Facebook.com/slash Rams Talk. 
And don't forget to find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Android, Google Play, PlayerFM, Spotify, and iBeatRadio.com. Let those five-star reviews come in, guys. And, Johnny, we'll be back next week. Sounds good. It does sound good. And I have not hit the theme yet, so we will talk to you guys later. control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough. And the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you. So you can always depend on us. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.